Morning. morning. Welcome to service this morning. Welcome to those of you watching online as well. As that video uh, just introduced, I'm beginning a series this morning, really a long extended study you might say, but a series today that in the book of 1 Corinthians, that Paul's letter, the New Testament letter to the First Corinthians, or to the Corinthian church, First Corinthians, and this will be a seven-week series that will start today and at the end of next month, but then we will pick up this study in January, part two, and then there will be actually five total parts that run all the way through Easter. So we're going to look at this book for a period of time, but just one installment uh, over the next two months in a series titled, Seeing All of Life Through the Gospel. Okay? That's what we're going to talk about uh, beginning this morning, really by way of introduction. But before I jump into the sermon today, I want to take just a minute and uh, acknowledge the anniversary. Um, today is 9-11, 21 years it's been uh, since that event. So please stand with me. Let's just have a word of prayer together as we pray for our country. Our God and Father, we ask you for your help in our nation today. May we never forget the lives lost, sacrifices made by many on this day 21 years ago. We pray for our nation today in another time of turmoil and even division. Grant us your peace and strength and help us not to lose faith and to draw closer to you. Activate your church here and around this country. May our lives and our selfless service increasingly be a witness to the world around us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. I chose this book, I've been thinking about it for some time, you know, let's say over the course of this year, 2022, 1 Corinthians, because I believe it is a book for our times. It's a book for our times. It was written to a church in a city, the book, the, the city of Corinth, ancient Corinth, that entertained, we'll see this over the course of many weeks, but uh, entertained many religious ideas, you know, pluralistic in that sense. When Paul walked through Athens, its sister city just to the east, uh, right before he came to Corinth, it says he was very distressed, the Apostle Paul, Acts 17, because of the many, many idols that filled the city, okay, religious pagan idols. So it was a city... The, the book was written to a city that was entertained many religious ideas, but even more pervasive than, let's say, this idol worship that took place there were the Greek ideals, I mean the Greek culture, of individualism, of personal freedom, of a distrust of authority, pluralism. Okay, what is pluralism? It's the political or cultural you know, uh, dispersion of different groups that have certain kind of power, pressure groups that make up a society. That's what pluralism is. We have political pluralism, cultural pluralism. This was really much the environment that was going on in the city. All kinds of different groups vying for all kinds of different power and influence in this city. And this idea, cultural uh, or pluralism, you might say, was the, the cultural climate of Corinth was reflected in many ways in this congregation that the Apostle Paul is writing uh, to in this letter. Ross Douthat, if you know that name, he's a kind of a cultural critic. He calls himself a Catholic believer, but written a number of books even about faith, wrote a book 
uh, recently called the Decadent Society. The Decadent Society. The subtitle is America Before and After the Pandemic. What is decadent? Moral or cultural decline. Some of us know this, what this word means. Characterized by excessive indulgence in pleasure or luxury. He's saying, listen, he's saying, he's suggesting that we live maybe, or asking the question, in a decadent society. Another way of saying that is it's a society that's been, you know, had so many years and generations of sort of living an affluent lifestyle, a materialistic lifestyle, that we're, we're sort of, we're not really serious people. And we're living in an environment where we're not really serious people. We're just having a good time, you might say. The decadent society, America before and after the pandemic. One of the things he talks about in this book many subjects, but is the protest movements that have been taking place, okay, just in the last 24 months. We could name them. And he says this. These are questions about the protest movements that we've had many in the last two years. Does this action represent a real ideological crisis, a genuinely revolutionary moment? Are these things serious, right? You could, we could say what they are, right? Or is it just a kind of digital play-acting? in which young people, dissatisfied with decadence, pretend to be fascists and Marxists on the internet with a small cohort reenacting the 1930s and the 1960s in the streets of Poland and Seattle, while, or which the vast majority of people still experience as only social media stimulation, a street fight only on the screen. It's a question. The New York Times uh, did a photo uh, essay on the anniversary of George Floyd's death, uh, and, and was, this was May 2022. And the title of this photo essay was called The Great Erasure. The Great Erasure. And it was talking about street art that was very popular back in the summer of 2020 and on. And mainly in this case, at least this particular photo essay, was on Black Lives Matter. Okay, so you remember, maybe if your memory serves, there was large street art from Brooklyn all the way to San Francisco all over the country. And there were these, some, some of this street art could be seen from satellites. Okay, if you read the article. But the point of this was, in just 24 months, much of this art is gone. The vast majority of it is gone. They had photo essays of before and after. Now, some of that, of course, is because of street wear and tear. Some of it is because of, you know, weather. But the point of the article was it isn't just that. There's a, there was a quick loss of enthusiasm. Okay? And what this article was saying was questioning that people who 24 months ago or 12 months ago, you know, took on this sort of identity. It was sort of a cause celeb. This is what's important. I'm going to join the bandwagon on this issue. But time went by, months went on, six months went to a year, and they sort of took off that identity and moved on to the next big idea. Okay? A decadent society. The Apostle Paul is writing to a group of people, well, I'm bringing that up, the, the book of 1 Corinthians, I think it's not too, too different from our own, to a group of people like this, okay, looking for the next big idea, and what he wants to say is this, only the gospel of Jesus Christ can capture your imagination, can transform your heart, and result in lasting change. It's the only idea big enough, only idea powerful enough that can capture your imagination, hold your imagination, transform your life, and lead to true and lasting change. 
If we hope to reach our full potential as Christians, if we hope to reach a full potential as a church here at Browncroft, we must work to bring the gospel to bear on all the issues of contemporary life. Either the gospel is big enough to reach all the areas of contemporary life or it's not worth having. Okay? That's what the Apostle Paul wants to say. Now, the introduction, we're just going to do, today's an introduction of this letter and of this series, just nine verses, if you have a copy of the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But let me say this about the introduction. It's overwhelmingly positive. These nine verses are overwhelmingly positive, which is not what you would expect, those of you who know the story and know this letter a little bit, for a congregation that was rife with division, conflict, and bad behavior. But before the Apostle Paul wants to get to apply the difficulties, to redress the difficulties this congregation had, and congregations still today have, he wants to put forth the solution. He wants to establish a few foundational truths centered in the gospel that are absolutely essential for successful Christian living in any age, including ours. 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 9, and a message titled, Called and Gifted. Follow along as I read these words. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God in our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The first and most important foundational truth he wants to say in this long message to this congregation is this. The gospel gives you a new identity, okay? The gospel gives you, if you're a Christian, a new identity, right? From the inside out. You know, the gospel, you know, if you read a a whole understanding of the biblical um, narrative, some people say, why is the world so broken? They don't understand their Bible. Listen, the Bible is a rescue, the, the, the message of the gospel, it's a rescue mission, it's like, it's, like the, it's like God comes into a world that's been shipwrecked, okay, shipwrecked, and he sends Galatians chapter 1 on a rescue mission, his son into the world on a rescue mission, and he says, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my, my life, my power in the individual. I'm going to remake you from the inside out, a new creation in Christ. Old things pass away, all things become new. It's a new identity. That's what the gospel gives you. It's not a new, it's not a new look. It's not a new set of morals. It's not a, a, it's not a series of objectives. It's a whole new identity. That's what Paul wants to say in these opening verses before we get to anything else. 
the city of Corinth, by way of introduction. Very prosperous city, capital of the Roman province. Uh, in, uh, this was now Rome's empire by the time Jesus walked the earth, Paul walked the earth. It was larger than Athens. We all know the city of Athens and more influential than Athens. But the, the main thing I want to point out, we have a map here. It was a meeting point between land and sea. It was a commercial hub. And I only want to say this for one reason on this map. That dot sort of covers the land uh, bridge where the city was, but it was a place, it was, where, it, was a, it was a commercial hub in the ancient Near East, why, or the ancient world. Why is that? Because ships would come in from the east, on the edge of that map would be Turkey, what we called in those days Asia Minor, and they could, instead of going all the way around that big land mass there, what's called southern Greece today, they could walk over that land bridge into the Corinthian Gulf, over to the Adriatic, into Italy and the rest of Western Europe. It was a, it was a commercial hub, and it drew people from all over the region in the Roman Empire. All walks of life, many of them Gentiles, that is non-Jewish people, looking to make a name for themselves. You might say, if you read this book carefully, that ancient Corinth, they had this, it was kind of a celebrity culture, right? We'll get to this in a few weeks. But Paul comes to this congregation, he's trying to share the gospel, and they say, listen, some of us are for Paul, some of us are for Apollos, some of us are for Peter, some of us are for Jesus. Paul says, what are you talking about? Okay? Kind of a celebrity culture, not too, too different from our own. It was full of people that were rootless, cut off from their background, from many different districts in the Roman Empire. Listen, all open to the next big idea. G.K. Chesterton, a name you don't, may not know, but I, I would encourage you to know him. Been a great writer, thinker, Christian uh, 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 apologist, of the last century. Many people would, would give him credit him to leading C.S. Lewis to Christ, if you know the name C.S. Lewis. Said this about his generation 100 years ago. As long as the vision of heaven is always changing, the vision of earth will be exactly the same. Okay? What's the hot new idea? No ideal will remain long enough to be realized or even partly realized. The modern young person will never change their environment, change the world, for they will always be changing their mind. Okay? A decadent society. In the verses that we just read, you, got, you have to reread them to kind of appreciate it, nine times in nine verses. Now think about this. The Apostle Paul is no dummy. Nine times in nine verses, he mentions the Lord Jesus Christ. Four times just in the first three verses. Now, does he think we're dumb? Does he think we don't know how to read? I mean, I, I've written things before. I wouldn't write nine verses and say, you know, uh, George Washington, George Washington, George Washington. I mean, I think you get the point. He's trying to make a point to this congregation who has a very short attention span. Here today, gone tomorrow. The gospel gives you a new identity. Until the gospel penetrates every facet of your being, and brings new life. Listen, you will never know who you are or what you were made to be. Rather than working to build an identity or to manufacture a purpose, we have been given an identity in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Verse 5, in him, in him, you have been enriched in every way. 
I talked to a friend of mine um, in the last month who I know personally, longtime friend, not, does not live in the state of New York, said, um, Rob, I knew the story, but at the first time I had a conversation. Um, I'm a failure as a husband. I'm a failure as a parent. I'm a failure as a minister. I listened to the story. After I listened, I said, I appreciate what you're saying, but let me push back. You did fail your spouse. You did fail your kids. You did fail your ministry, but you are not a failure. Remember the guy named Peter? <laughs> you know, it's kind of his Bible. Who was not just, you know, uh, one of the band of merry men. Peter was the chief apostle. Matthew 18, Jesus says, of all the people that surround me, I'm going to pick you. On this rock, I will build my church. Okay? And six months later, whatever the number was, not much later, Peter said, Jesus, never heard of him. Third, second time, third time, curses and swears, I do not know the man. Do you think Peter felt like a failure? I think he must have. When Jesus went to call the apostles, he said, go tell the apostles and Peter to come and meet me in Galilee. Peter wasn't even considered a disciple anymore. Do you think Peter felt like a failure? But here's the interesting thing. Jesus knew that was coming, and Jesus sat down with him on a beach after the resurrection, and he restored him, and Peter did his greatest work as an apostle after that failure Okay? Did you have that kind of faith? Do I have that kind of faith? The gospel gives you a new identity. God's objective reality, here's the point, overrides your, your subjective experience. But see, you've got to live out of that every day. God's objective reality, that your righteousness is the righteousness of Jesus Christ in him. You've been enriched in every way. His objective reality overrides your subjective experience. You have to learn how to live out of that every day if you're ever going to make it in this world as a follower of Jesus. God declares us presentable before he ever looks at your record. Now, this is counterintuitive. I don't do that in life. I wouldn't get into business with somebody who I didn't know their backstory. I certainly wouldn't marry somebody that I hadn't vetted and understood their backstory. I wouldn't, you know, you know make a deal with people. Anybody that I'm going to do some serious relationship with or commitment to, I'm going to learn everything I can about them. I'm going to look at the record. You do that. But God declared, declared us presentable before he ever looked at his record, you say, well, God, is, why is it? God's just a softy? He's not a softy at all. He looks at the record of Jesus Christ. That's why. In him, we are perfect. In him, we are blameless. Jesus Christ is my righteousness. Do you know how to live out of that? As you learn to see yourself this way, forged in union with Jesus Christ, you'll undergo a shift that will be a perspective that's crucial to living the Christian life. The gospel gives you a new identity. Second, by way of introduction, the gospel equips you to live into your identity. So the gospel's not a transaction, guys. You know, you did it when you were seven or 27. 
and, and you, now you're on your own. The gospel not only gives you a new identity, it equips you to live into that identity. The gospel applied, okay, in and out every day, answers two fundamental questions, or it should answer two fundamental questions in life for you, for me. Whether you're 16, 26, 86, doesn't matter. Who am I? And what am I to do? Okay? Who am I? Right? In him, I'm enriched in every way. Uh, uh, this is my son in who I am well pleased. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. In him. The gospel should answer two questions. Who am I and what am I called to do? Now let me just take a minute. This is a whole series in, the, in, the 20, uh, in next year, early next year. Let me say a few words about it. The word called, used twice in verses 1 and verse 2. Paul, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Now there's a whole bunch of teaching and truth behind that one sentence. Let me say this. The word called, if you've been a Christian for any time, you've heard the word called. You know, the Macedonian call and called into ministry and called into faith. This is a, con, a, a common concept in the scriptures. I'm called. But there's two kind of calls in the Bible. One, we'd call it the general call. Okay? The general call is, Jesus, the example of this would be Jesus. Uh, all you who are weary and heavy laden, Matthew eleven twenty eight. all that you are burdened and heavy and, and loaded down with, with, with the weight of life, come unto me, all you who are burdened and weary. That's a general call. Some people come, you follow the ministry of Jesus, some people don't. A general call can be rejected. Another example, a famous verse. We'll see it today if you watch football, I guess, right? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, wait for it, that whosoever, no one's commandeered, whosoever should uh, believe in him shall have everlasting life. Some people receive the call, some people don't. The Apostle Paul, the end of his story, at least according to the biblical record, Acts 28. He's under house arrest for two years in Rome. We assume then after that, He's um, executed. It said this, For two years Paul received people from this big city in Rome, and many would come, and from morning till evening he would share the kingdom of God. The, the, the message of the kingdom of God. It said, some received it, some didn't. It's a general call. What you're talking about here is the effective call. And the effective call of God is when God calls somebody and equips them at the same time. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Let me tell you Paul's story. If you're a note taker, Acts chapter 9. Here's what happens. This is what Paul's talking about. They should probably know that. That's why he can shorthand it. The Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul wasn't this kind of guy warming up to Jesus and, yeah, I think I might. I think he, I'm going to go to that, that meeting and, and I'm, I'm, become, I'm, I'm warmer than I was before. Listen, he was going in the complete 180 degrees opposite direction if you know his story. Paul was, had letters from the Jewish establishment. He was a, in a sense, Acts 26 says, he went to hunt down Christians in foreign cities. He wasn't trying to refine Jesus. He was trying to hunt down, arrest people who were followers of what was called the way. He couldn't be going more opposite the direction. While he's on his way to Damascus, a famous city in the day, to hunt down people who are Christians. Light comes from heaven, 
knocks him down on the ground. He's blind. His friends help him up to a house. While he's at that house, God sends another person named Ananias to come to him and says, Paul, I know you're freaked out. You have no idea what's going on. Let me tell you. This was from God. His name is the Lord Jesus. And by the way, he's not only sent me to give you your sight, but he sent me to see that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the effective call. And you know what Paul did? I'm going to go look deeper into this. I'm going to go um, validate this. The next day, Acts 9, he went into the synagogue in Damascus and preached boldly that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. Now, that's the effective call. Verse 2, Paul's saying, listen, without all the dramatics, the same is true for you and me. The church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be his holy people. He's saying, listen, what's true of me should be true of you. Are you called? The gospel equips you to live into your identity. Okay? Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork. Created, underline this, in Christ Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. A new creation. In Christ. What for? To, you know, bat in the hatches and wait till this mess is over. To do good works. Now watch this. Which God prepared in advance for you to do. Okay? Are you called? The church is a, is a people set apart for the service of God. But the funny thing is here, guys, this is the sort of my introduction of this whole series. Paul knows what he's doing. To those of you who are sanctified, which is a fancy Bible word that just means set apart, and his holy people. Paul knows when he says those two words that this congregation, when you and I think of holy generally, we think of, you know, got your act together, you know, morally, you know, and moving in the right direction. They could not be more unsanctified and unholy, division, conflict, bad behavior. It, it's a disaster, okay? But here's what Paul's saying. It's what I'm saying to you. The whole point of the Christian life is for you to catch up to who you are already, right? That's why he uses the word of the Lord Jesus Christ nine times in nine verses to get the point. Quit changing your mind. Quit going to the next hot subject. You've got one thing. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. In him, you have been enriched in every way. He will take, in him, he will keep you firm to the end. If you let that gospel not only capture your imagination, stay focused on it, it will transform your heart and move you in a direction of being a part of what God is doing in the world. Okay? That's what the church is supposed to be about. That's what the church is supposed to be about. Are you called? Have you been equipped? Are you experiencing a growing hunger? Am I to know more of this Jesus and to do more? Romans 8, 28, famous verse. All things work together. God, in, God, in all things, God works together for the good for those who are called according to his purpose. The gospel gives you a new identity. The gospel equips you to live in that identity. Are you growing in hunger and in service? Or, it's my question, 
Paul's question to this congregation. Or has the church become, not just this one, but has the church become just another consumer experience? Kind of like a spiritual Wegmans of a kind, right? A place where you hear what you want to hear and a place where you come to be served. I don't like the sermon. I don't like the music. Kids program, whatever. To be served or do you come to serve? Jesus said, Jesus, the Son of God, right? They wanted to shine his shoes and put him on a throne. He said, listen, I didn't come to be served. That, day, that day's coming is not today. I came to serve. I came to serve. I came to wash your feet. I came to die for your sins. R.C. Sproul, another great name that some of us may not know, died a handful of years ago, five, six, seven years ago. One of the great theologians of our time said this about our day, just died. Our culture is embedded in proud mediocrity, junk art, junk music, junk thinking, and we've accommodated it with junk church. Sober. What does he mean by that? Junk church. So-called churches, went on to say, who've decided to eliminate the transcendent, eliminate the profound, eliminate the deep theological, who feed mediocrity, give the hungry crowds what they crave, and starve the true church. Let's move on to different subjects. Let's find some fancy uh, a cause to adjoin ourselves to. What's hot? What's interesting? That's what junk church is. There's only one animating idea here. The gospel gives you a new identity. It should capture your imagination. And it equips you for that new identity. And finally, last thing let me say here. Your life, it's why by introduction, is a work of God from beginning to end. That's what he's saying. He also will keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is anything but a transaction. Oh my goodness. It's, it's, a, it's a torrent that's gonna should overwhelm your whole life and saturate your whole life, completely move you in a different direction. Old things are passed away, all things are become new. Is that your story today? Is it my story today? Your life is a work of God from beginning to end. That's what Paul wants to say. I had the opportunity last weekend to go to the U.S. Open. And it's total serendipity that I was um, not at the U.S. Open. That was a plan. I bought a ticket and went. But serendipity that I got to um, um, be in the final match of Serena Williams in her career. Okay, unless she pulls a Tom Brady, I don't know. But uh, uh, she has decided she's retiring, and as the tennis um, you know um, uh, season goes, the U.S. Open's the last of the major, big majors, and she she basically had said, "This is it." Same with her sister. And I was there, and um, but you never know. She won her first round, won her second round. I wasn't even there for those. I show up. She's still in the third round. So I had sort of the cheap tickets, me and my buddy, you know, which is everything but Arthur Ashe. But Serena's playing. We went, well, should we, should we? All right, let's do it. <laughs> so we got to sit. We didn't know if she was going to win. So she lost the match. Phenomenal. Turned out to be her last professional tennis match. Now, so it was a great match. But when it was over, the place was bananas. 
as you can imagine. Every time they thought it was the last point, which it wasn't, the whole place got up on their feet like it was the Queen of England, you know, <laughs> because they thought this is it. Even if she was lost, they wanted to celebrate her. That went on for a while, over three hours, this match. But when it finally happened, the place was electric, she comes up to the microphone. Now, you could, I, I would say this about Serena if you're a tennis follower. She's a fierce competitor. She's tough as nails. Some people would say she's proud and arrogant. I don't know what your point of view on Serena Williams is. She's a great tennis player for sure. But this moment, to me anyway, seemed very unscripted. It seemed very unscripted and emotional. She was fighting back the tears. This is what she said. They said, Serena, you know, what do you got to say? You know, <laughs> 23,000 people on their feet going bananas. And she said, listen, I wanna, this is what I want to say. I would not be here today if it was not for my father. I would not ever be here today if it was not for my sister Venus. I would not be here today. And she named four or five names that I didn't know. She said, those people who said to me over the course of 25 years, you can do this, you can do this, you won't quit. It's powerful. Times a thousand, that's what the Apostle Paul is saying to this congregation. Listen, this world is, I don't even know what to say. It's Martin Luther, I'm going to quote him, devils filled. This world is turned upside, let me tell you something, the world has one agenda for you if you're a Bible believer, to squeeze you into its mold. That's what it wants to do. You say, well, I, I have a light touch on discipleship with my kids. The world doesn't have a light touch on discipleship with your kids or with you either, okay? With you either. And what Paul is saying here is, listen, your life is a work of God from beginning to end. If you take the Christian life seriously, you need to immediately realize this. You could never, ever, 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 ever do it on your own. Don't even get out of bed tomorrow. But in him, you have been enriched in every way. He, it's Jesus, nine times. You know, this time he's telling me using the pronoun. He will keep you firm to the end. Watch this. So that, so that, circle that, you will be blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus. When you have your big moment, not at the end of the U.S. Open or a tennis group at the end of your life, you will be blameless God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. Let me say just a word about blameless. When I read that word, if I'm honest, I say to myself, who am I kidding? I haven't had, I haven't had a blameless day in my whole life. How am I going to be blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus? Who are you kidding? Forget the Ten Commandments. How about greed and envy and lust and, and anger and rage and and, and, you know, you name it. Well, the point is, you'll never be blameless on your own strength, right? You're blameless for only one reason. You're, you've been given an identity in Jesus. In Him, we are enriched in every way. It's His righteousness. God declares you perfect before he ever looks at your record, but he's looking at somebody's record, it's Jesus Christ. You need to learn to live out of that if you ever want to make any forward progress as a follower of Jesus. That's what Paul's trying to say here. Only the gospel, a firm commitment to it, 
to an identity forged and shaped by the gospel will enable you to resist being squeezed into the world's mold and be free up to be an agent for its healing. Let me say this, and I'm done. The last two years, the world has been in retreat, right? Okay, talk about the coronavirus. It's been a retreat. The church has followed, okay? I mean, our building was closed for five months, but the church has followed. It's time to stop being in retreat, okay? It's time to uh, not just fill this room, but to fill the small groups, to fill the serving opportunities. It's time to get serious, more serious than ever about your identity in Jesus Christ and that you are been equipped in that identity to go into the world that's dark and confused and bring them the message of hope. It's time for the church to be the church, okay? Yeah, yeah. Let's pray. God and Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for these friends. Lord, we love you. We need you. And Lord, even though life is difficult and hard, I think for Christians and non-Christians in, in some ways, it always has been. You know, we're all living in the shipwreck of this world. But I also think, Lord, I also believe that there's never been a greater time of opportunity um, for the gospel and for the church of Jesus than there is today because all of the world's um, ideas and uh, philosophies and ideologies are falling apart in, at, you know, uh, lightning speed. And people are looking, is there an anchor? Is there a truth? Is there something real? Not transient. That's bigger than, you know, some temporary cause. Lord, help us as followers of Jesus to be all the more committed to receiving, appropriating, drinking deeply of the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we know and respond to the effective call to do the will of God and get after it. And I pray you would use this church, Father, even in the next year, in ways that are beyond our imagination. To eat deepen families, to deepen uh, relationships, to see uh, commitments, to have people's lives changed, and to see more people who don't know you today in this community come to know you uh, as Lord and Savior. We want to be used by you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, two things before I send you out on this uh, day. One is, just to make it, this might have been sent earlier in the service. We're beginning our program year, more to come next week. But um, tonight at 7 o'clock, invite, make, mobilize. Uh, Alyssa Catanzaro and and company are going to host an event. Some of you have signed up for it, but you, you can come even if you don't sign up. Um, and that is, it's to, it's to celebrate the missions teams, plural, that have gone over, uh, that we finally opened back up in, in, the, in the spring and summer of 2022. So it's a celebration of those teams, but a little hint at missions opportunities to come. Seven o'clock uh, hour or so, you're all welcome. And the second thing is, about a month ago or so, Roger Breedlove, 
if you remember, if you know Roger, hopefully you do, pastor of In Christ New Hope Fellowship, or one of our part, we call it a partner church. Um, and Roger um, spoke here, and I'm speaking there, not on a Sunday, but it's a, it's sort of a, a he calls it a believers meeting, and it's a, you know, it's kind of intra-church. Roger, another guy named Bernard McNeil, who maybe I'll have here some Sunday, a wonderful brother, pastors New Life Fellowship in the city of Rochester. And the three of us do a three-night thing. Browncroft's night is Wednesday, you know, there was our music and, and stuff, so uh, if you want to make me look good, you're welcome to show up on uh, Wednesday. But that's an opportunity, really, just to, to, to deliver on a promise to you all as well, that we are serious about our involvement, engagement uh, with our brothers and sisters in the city of Rochester, so I just want to let you know about that. Last but not least, if you're new here, it's September 11th today, it's the beginning of the new year, if you're new to Browncroft, uh, we want to know who you are. We want to give you a gift. Right as soon as you walk out the door, there's a table on the right-hand side. You don't have to do anything crazy. We're not going to take your picture, but just give you a gift. Say hello. We'd love to um, get to know you as we begin the year together. Amen? Have a great Sunday.